This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You can find these videos online that offer a disorienting glimpse deep inside Russia's war in Ukraine. They're posted by a guy named Yevgeny Prigozhin. He leads the Wagner Group the mercenary force that's been so key to Russia's relentless invasion. In these videos, sometimes Prigozhin seems to be connecting via a phone line. Other times he's looking directly at a camera. But he's always intense. Brian Taylor, who's an expert in Russian politics, he's been watching as one clip after another make the rounds. The, the frequency of Prigozhin videos increased around the Russian holiday of Victory Day, which is May 9th. And I think most observers think that's because he had promised Vladimir Putin that he would seize the Ukrainian town of Bakhmut by Victory Day. At the time, victory was far from assured for Russia in Bakhmut. In other words, Prigozhin and his Wagner group, they were not delivering. In one video, Prigozhin is surrounded by bodies, which he points out with a flashlight. He yells into the camera, pinning these deaths on higher-ups, demanding more weapons. This was not the first time Prigozhin spoke his mind about how unprepared he felt to defend Russia, but the gruesome theatrics he deployed here, they were meant to make a bigger point. He films himself wearing military camouflage gear. He's with the troops. He's clearly trying to draw a sharp contrast between his presence directly on the battlefield, his engagement with his soldiers, and the leadership of the Ministry of Defense, which he uh, frequently attacks as being out-of-touch elitists who uh, are damaging the war effort. These posts defy the usual rules of military order. Even after Russia declared victory in Bakhmut, Prigozhin continued to post about his disgust with Russia's military leadership. He's even praised Ukraine's strength on the battlefield. And it raises this question. Why is Vladimir Putin letting this guy continue to mouth off? This is a, a really big mystery, and I'm not sure I have a great answer for it. Because I think all of this stuff that we've been talking about that's been going on makes him look weak and makes the Russian state look incoherent and disorganized. I can only explain it with the idea that he thinks Prigozhin is still useful to him, that he's played a useful role in the war effort and he's someone he trusts and who he knows has been loyal to him. Other people think it really shows that he's completely paralyzed and doesn't know what to do. And he realizes what a pickle he's got Russia in and doesn't have an out. You're saying Putin could put Prigozhin in jail or worse if he really wanted to. Yeah, of course. 
but we know that Putin is loyal to people who've been around him for a long time. Even when those people fail over and over again. Today on the show, how Yevgeny Prigozhin and his Wagner group became this important to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and why the crack Prigozhin opened up inside the Kremlin could shift the outcome of this war. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, I want to go back to the beginning. I'm wondering if you can give me a biographical sketch of Yevgeny Prigozhin. He leads the Wagner Group. He's also been known as Putin's chef. Can you just explain how he emerged? He was originally like a petty criminal, right? Exactly. So he was born in the early 1960s in what was then Leningrad, what we now know as St. Petersburg. In the early 1980s, he was a street thug, a criminal, engaged in robberies and assaults, was arrested, went to prison for 10 years, and got out in 1990, right around the time the Soviet Union was collapsing and the economy was opening up. In Moscow, the hammer and sickle is lured for the last time, and an era comes to an end. Kind of a totally different Russia. Yes, Yes, a totally different Russia than the one uh, that was there when he went into prison. And so his first business venture was creating a hot dog stand, actually, which, uh, according to him, uh, made some money, uh, was relatively successful. But how he really got his breakthrough was he created in 1996 an oak cuisine French restaurant called uh, Old Custom House, you know, oysters and escargot and things like that. Sounds nice. But being St. Petersburg in the 1990s, it also had a stripper pole in the middle of the room. Not as nice. (laughs) So if you can imagine that incongruous uh, uh, scene. But the reason this is important is it becomes a place where Russian and particularly St. Petersburg local officials go, including the mayor and his deputy, a guy named Vladimir Putin, as well as local businessmen, local mobsters, that sort of thing. And that's where Prigozhin, I think, first gets on Putin's radar. And then after Putin becomes president in 2000, uh, when he goes to St. Petersburg, his hometown, with various visiting 
foreign officials. He goes to one of Prigozhin's fancy restaurants. There, there are pictures, for example, of George W. Bush and Laura Bush having dinner with Putin, with Prigozhin lurking in the background. So he had these connections, which he eventually parlayed into uh, a bigger catering business and a contracting business providing food to Moscow City Schools, to the Ministry of Defense, and he made a lot of money doing those things. Hmm. How did he move from food service to military operations? The story goes that in 2014, when the Russia-Ukraine war first started, when Russia sent in soldiers covertly and annexed Crimea, and Russia was looking for a way to preserve plausible deniability that, that they actually were fighting with those forces. Because the Russian line was always that these are Ukrainian citizens who are rising up against their oppressive government. And so they created this small private military company or mercenary group uh, called Wagner. So Ukraine's really important to like the birth story of the Wagner group and, and Prigozhin's relationship with military action. Yes, precisely. Wagner would not have come about without the initial Russian attack on Ukraine going back to February 2014 with the annexation of Crimea and the launch of the war in the Donbass. Without that, I don't think Prigozhin shifts from food contracting uh, and being so-called Putin's chef uh, to what he describes himself as now, which is Putin's butcher. Do we know what motivates this guy? Because it's clear he likes to be close to power. That's clear from his biography. And it's not just military operations he's involved with. It's also trolling the U.S. Like he he ran troll farms, right, that interfered in the 2016 election. And he's openly admitted to the fact that he he interfered and and tried to push the candidacy of Donald Trump. So do we know why? I think I would say that Prigozhin is, first of all, a businessman, but a businessman of a certain type and a businessman with strong grievances and kind of a, a taste and a feel for sort of extreme populist politics in that he wants to undermine what he sees as the, the cozy, uh, corrupt elite and stand up on behalf of, you know, the downtrodden Russian citizen. So I think it's this bizarre combination of a thug, an entrepreneur, and an ultra-patriotic populist that goes into the mix that gives us Yevgeny Prigozhin as we see him today. Hmm. And he doesn't see himself as an elite himself, even though he's so close to Vladimir Putin? You know, it's funny. Sometimes these populist figures come from strange backgrounds, right? So, uh, yeah, he apparently lives in a, a, a quite large and fancy mansion, you know, outside St. Petersburg. And he, he has this direct connection to the most powerful person in Russia. Uh, but at the same time, he wants to position himself as a man of the people. And maybe not to stretch the analogy too far, but a Russian journalist recently wrote a piece comparing Prigozhin in some ways uh, to Trump, someone with grand ambitions who uh, feels like he never got the respect he deserves. And that inspires this move into politics. You mentioned that Prigozhin started the Wagner Group in 2014 with this initial invasion of Ukraine, but that also it was a little bit under the table 
at the time, like he denied that he led the Wagner group for a while. But then it feels like over the last year or so, there's been this coming out and acknowledgement that like, this is my project. I am in charge of that. Can you explain how that started? Like when Yevgeny Prigozhin decided it's advantageous for me to say, I really am the Wagner group and running this thing. Prigozhin only publicly acknowledged his role in Wagner after the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. Before that, he had always denied it. In fact, he had sued journalists who had connected him to Wagner. So his message has completely changed in the context of the full-scale war that started last year. Before that, I I think he thought it was better to be maybe a bit more in, in the background and not public about some of these activities. But the The full-scale war made him so indispensable in some sense to the whole project that he thought the publicity from being public about it outweighed the previous advantages of, you know, being cagey about what his role was. Prigozhin became particularly public-facing last September. That's when a video of him went viral. He was recruiting Russian prisoners to become Russian soldiers. He'd helicoptered into a prison and went out and they rounded up all uh, the prisoners and brought them out into the yard. And he offered them a deal, you know, join Wagner, uh, fight for six months, and then we'll get your prison sentence wiped out. Uh, you know, you, you will be pardoned. And according to Russian law, there's only one person who can pardon prisoners that way, and that's the president, which is Vladimir Putin. And there does seem to be evidence that these pardons are, in fact, taking place. Hmm. How big of a role have these prisoner recruitments played in the war? Well, according to Prigozhin, they brought in roughly 50,000 people. And I think it was important uh, for Putin to do this because he had not wanted to give the message to the Russian public that this was anything other than a quote-unquote special military operation. So Prigozhin going to prisoners and saying, come fight with us, managed to plug a gap in the Russian forces that was useful for, for Putin at the time in terms of his public messaging about the war. And according to him, also 20,000 of them died in the assault on Bakhmut in you would think the numbers of casualties on top of that is even greater. So it's a lot of people. Yeah. For most of these people, you know, it it was a one way ticket, not not to freedom, but uh, to the grave for many of these people. So it's kind of a reflection on just the disorganized and incompetent character of the war that they're taking prisoners with no training, sending them to the front asking them to or forcing them to storm Ukrainian positions without proper support. And it all goes back to the fundamental flawed starting point of the war. Prigozhin was someone who came forward uh, with a solution for at least a a temporary way of stabilizing the situation. But there's a a bigger fundamental problem about the war effort uh, that Russia did not understand the fight that they were getting into. We'll be back after a quick break.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the fact that Yevgeny Prigozhin's Wagner Group has spent the last year solving so many of Vladimir Putin's problems in Ukraine, it seems to have bought an almost bottomless reserve of credibility with the Kremlin. This is true even though Prigozhin has called Russian military leaders out using the most colorful language possible. He recently said they were like a grandpa who turns out to be a complete a-hole. To Brian Taylor, this is all worth lingering on because there simply aren't that many people in Russia who could get away with it. There's this law in Russia about discrediting the military and people have been arrested for standing on a street by themselves with a small piece of paper with the word peace written on it. So that can be considered discrediting the military. But filming yourself in front of a pile of corpses screaming at the minister of defense and the chief of the general staff calling them names and saying, where are my freaking shells? That apparently uh, is completely allowed if you've got this personal connection to the man at the top. So uh, it's just a a very stark wartime illustration of how uh, the rule of law in the sense that each person is treated equal for the law is completely uh, not a thing uh, in today's Russia. Yeah, it feels important to say that Prigozhin seems to be making himself into a character who is maybe more extreme than Putin. Like, he is it that he thinks Putin's generals aren't fighting hard enough? Yeah, he definitely caters to that part of the watching audience in Russia that thinks the problem is that they're not uh, being aggressive enough, right? And he's not the most visible in that camp in terms of television, but he is the most visible in that camp in terms of someone who fights directly on the battlefield, or at least appears directly on the battlefield, has a host of social media channels, and also has this connection to the Putin that in some ways makes him untouchable and allows him to say things that other people would not be allowed to say. Yeah. But it's interesting because it also came out in some leaked documents a few weeks back that Prigozhin was offering to give Ukraine information on Russian troops 
if Ukraine recru- retreated from Bakhmut. It's hard to know what Prigozhin's motivations are here, because it seems like he's playing both sides a bit. That was a very curious episode, and the Ukrainians did not, not surprisingly, take him up on that because they, they didn't really, really trust what was going on there, and they thought it was simply a ploy by Prigozhin to try and seize control of Bakhmut without having to, to fight his way in. Um, but uh, it is interesting that when Prigozhin talks in some of his interviews, he's much more respectful of Ukrainian President Zelensky, the Ukrainian military leadership, the capability of the Ukrainian military, than you would hear other of the Russian nationalists' voices. In one of his recent videos, he was talking about how one of the initial goals for the so-called special military operation was the demilitarization of Ukraine. And he says, what we've managed to do over the last year is make them one of the most uh, strongest and in, in, you know, well-equipped militaries in the world and basically undercutting uh, one of Putin's messages about the goal of the war and saying that we failed in many of our initial objectives. So I'm curious about your perspective on where we are now. The Wagner Group is pulled out of Bakhmut and they're no longer recruiting prisoners to fight for Russia. There was even this recent video that indicated Russian military troops were attacking Wagner Group fighters, which just seems like Russia attacking Russia in Ukraine, which it seems wasteful if you're if you're a military. Yeah, I mean in the in just in the last 2 days we've seen Prigozhin saying that when they retreated from Bakhmut they encountered minefields and he claimed that the Russian Ministry of Defense had basically put them there to, you know, to undermine Wagner on its way out and basically try and kill Wagner troops on the way out. And then we see this report that Wagner had grabbed a Russian lieutenant colonel uh, and forced him to confess or, or say on camera that he had ordered his troops to fire on Wagner. So uh, this is beyond just you know public complaints or public disagreements this is a situation in which we see in some ways central control uh slipping um we see a complete breakdown in any coherent chain of command over the last uh few weeks now i assume that the ministry of defense will be able to to stabilize this and establish some control uh, but it's a very bad signal from the point of view uh, of the the Russian armed forces and the Russian state that they've got all these different actors working across purposes instead of all fighting on the same team. This fissure inside Putin's inner circle seems like an opportunity for Ukraine and its allies. Is Ukraine positioned to take advantage of this moment when it seems like they're enemy is is fighting amongst itself. I think we're about to find out. It looks like we're seeing the beginning stages of the long-expected Ukrainian counteroffensive. Ukraine does not seem to have all of these infighting struggles between various factions, certainly not uh, the lack of control that we've seen on the Russian side. So it could be that the finger pointing in Russia will get even worse. The infighting will get even worse if Ukraine successfully goes on the counteroffensive. 
for example, I could imagine Russia losing control of Bakhmut sometime in the next month after expending all this time and energy and lives to seize it. So yes, this is from the point of view of the Ukrainian state and Ukrainian armed forces, I would think an opportunity to strike at an opponent that is showing signs of disorganization and chaos on their side. You've kind of alluded to this a couple of different times in a couple of different ways by saying that, you know, Prigozhin is is a sort of a politician in this, even though he's not a traditional politician. <laughs> Do we know what his goals are here? Is he positioning himself to become a leader in a different kind of way in Russia? That's a really important question that I don't think we have a clear answer to. If you ask him directly, Prigozhin always says that, no, I'm not a politician. No, I don't have political ambitions. No, I'm not going to create a political party. Uh, No, I'm not going to run for office or anything like that. But his larger message, I think, could be setting himself up for uh, a bigger political role in the future. Uh, We know he was recently on a tour to some of the regions around Russia, speaking to local uh, venues, uh, interacting with local media, and giving the same message about uh, the war, about the corruption of the elite, uh, about the failures of the Ministry of Defense. So that seems like something a politician would do and not something a loyal foot soldier and businessman of President Putin would do. So he does seem to be situating himself to play a bigger game. But the only way this works out for Prigozhin, if those in fact are his ambitions, is if things get much, much worse in Russia. Brian, I'm really grateful for your time and your expertise. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Mary. Brian Taylor is a professor of political science and the director of the Moynihan Institute of Global Affairs at Syracuse University. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the senior director of podcast operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you tomorrow.